Let's dive into the Word of God together, and then we're going to spend some time um, sharing, um, I was going to say sharing around the table. We have three tables this morning uh, for communion. We'll we'll explain that later. Um, But into the Word of God, you'll know um, that we've been um, embarking upon a sermon series drawn quite substantially from the book of Ephesians in the Bible, and we have made available to you a 31-day devotional Um, We've made it available via the prayer line, via your Transform Community leaders, and via um, Facebook as well. If you've not yet got that, check all of those ways, and if not, come and see me, and we'll get it to you. It's a great way of journeying together as a church. You might do other kind of Bible readings, that's fine, but make sure you get a hold of that. Make sure you dive in deeply together. The sermon series is entitled Made for More, and what we're realizing is um, that, that God has designed us brilliantly. Amen? Oh, come on. You're not very confident in this. Uh, you're not confident so much in the design. We're confident in the designer, aren't we? God has made you brilliantly. He saved you wondrously. Amen? And he has incredible plans and purposes for your life. Amen? Normally, I get you to say that to somebody near you, but I, I, we don't want to face each other, do we? Uh, you know, move a, move a seat away from... No, don't, you don't have to. Um, But what we're understanding is that God wants to do wonders through our lives. And this morning, um, hopefully, I was going to call them a handout, but you probably didn't have them passed to you. You could pick them up for yourself. I don't touch anything that anyone else has touched. Um, But uh, hopefully you've got these. Um, They're going to be helpful for you in your transformed communities, but they might be helpful this morning as well. Um, If you've not got one, um, you can grab one as, as you head out. That's fine. This morning, our understanding is going to be around that we are made to be more. It's one of our key understandings through this series. They revolve around three words. Be. Everyone say be. Yeah. Do. Everyone help me out. Do. And, and, and go. I almost forgot. <laughs> uh, okay. So be, do, and go. And we're going to kind of begin at the beginning. Very best place to start. Um, I always like to reference the sound of music. I don't know why. something in me. It's the Holy Spirit, I guess. Um, We want to understand who we are. And the question, I guess, to kind of prompt our thinking this morning is, do you have a good sense of who you are? And perhaps who you're not. Because we can get these things pretty muddled up and mixed up from time to time. Um, Erin, I, and the kids, um, not this week gone, but the week before, um, we enjoyed um, uh, you know, five or so days over in York. Um, we had a little holiday over there. Um, travel plans have all since been cancelled, haven't they? But we, we kind of got in, I think, before things kind of really kicked off. And uh, we had a lovely week. Um, but those of you who've got young children, you'll know that holidaying with young children, it's not always relaxing. Anybody? It's not, a re- not necessarily a relaxing thing. You've got to pack those days, don't you? Uh, you've got to keep those kids occupied. Don't take a book. There's, there's no need. Uh, you, sh- you won't be reading it. Um, and, and so on a couple of occasions, we did, I mean, bless him. Judah really, really loved York Minster. Um, we went twice. <laughs> the second day was like, can we go back to that big building? And we're like, it's a church. Um, you should know this. You're the pastor's kid. No, we're, we're, anyhow, on a couple of occasions, we went to um, some really kind of fun places. We went to this uh, adventure playground. Uh, can I get a hallelujah for bubbles uh, from the parents in the house? Yeah, we know about these things. Um, but it's that kind of thing. Big kind of indoor play zone, loads of outdoor play and all these kinds of things. And initially... 
I don't know, I'm a bit grumpy. Um, you may have noticed this about me. And initially, as Judah just legs it off into the soft play, there's a little bit of me that's like, I'm just going to leave him. It'll be fine, won't it? It'll be all right. But then like, the good parent of me kicks in and thinks, probably I can in the end, but I should probably just go with him to begin with. And, um, but then, of course, what then kicks in is the fact that I still have an inner 12-year-old. Anyone else got an inner 12-year-old? Yeah. And he starts tearing around all these things, jumping over stuff, climbing things, hitting things, and going down slides. And after a little while, I'm like, come on, Judah, let's go again. Um, I need an under five to go with me, otherwise I'm not allowed in. Um, and it's like, go again, go again and, and you're kind of roaming around and you're having a great deal of fun um, so much so that after a while he really warmed up to the massive slide there's always a massive slide isn't there and he already warmed up to it and in the end he's diving down it head first yeah and he's just going and he's whipping up some speed and after a little while I'm like I can do that and um, I don't know why you're laughing I am a fine athletic figure of a man and no not not and I dive down head first Guess who skinned both their elbows on the way down? I got down to the bottom and I'm like, I feel a little bit of discomfort in my elbows. I looked down, like, bleeding? Plaster me up, Aaron, I'm going in. Um, A couple of days later, we go to a local swimming pool and and it was pretty much deserted and uh, we got the place to ourselves. And after a while, a kindly lifeguard turns on the water flume. Hallelujah. Water flume is a glorious thing, isn't it? And uh, we've been doing the swimming, and, um, and Judah, he's a little cautious to me, so I thought, all right, all right, I'm in now, I'll go with you, I'll go with you for the first time, just to get you in the groove, and we get to the top, it's a little slide, not very big, I've got this, and so I get there, we sit down, we slide down, didn't realise, we're going to accelerate like crazy on this bad boy, and so we come out the bottom of it like a bullet from a gun, into the plunge pool, and there's me, I, I just kind of skid, and I don't, I don't know what happened to me, but I've stopped floating. I don't know what this is. And I sink like a stone down to the bottom, and my tailbone, what's it, a coccyx, something like that, hits the bottom of the pool with some force. It still hurts it, right now. Yeah, that's right. Ah. I was going to say pray for me, but you don't want to pray for pastor's bum. That's weird, isn't it? Um, so that I hit the bottom, and there's me at the bottom of the pool, holding Judah up out of the water with one arm. Well, and Erin tells me afterwards the lifeguard was looking increasingly worried about me at this point. He's about to dive in and rescue this foolish dad. So I hand over Judah to Erin and, and take, scoop up Nora and come out of the plunge pool, totally missing the fact that there's a step. Slide over. I think I said, what did I say? Oh, dear. That's only one step away from oops-a-daisy, isn't it, really? This is the kind of man that I am. It's incredibly important realizations for me to know who I am and who I am not. My boy might be about to turn four. I am not four. I am not 14. He is three. I am not even 30. I am a 40-year-old man, and I cannot dive headlong down slides anymore without there being consequences. Do you know who you are? And do you know who you are not? Favour, would you help me out? Would you put that picture up of that NatWest Bank? I don't know whether you've heard about this. Can you see it? It's not that great, is it? It's a hole in the wall, a cash machine. But right next to it, there's a little wall with a hole in a wall. 
Um, and it, the, the idea was they, they designed it and they built it to be kind of like a little bit of a screen so that people wouldn't feel overlooked when they're getting their cash out. But the little holes there so that they can see if anybody's kind of coming around and it's just like a security device. Would you believe, just this last week I think it was, TripAdvisor has suspended reviews of this cash machine and this wall. You're probably wondering, why on earth would people be reviewing it on TripAdvisor? Well, it turns out some pretty kind of funny people in this Derbyshire town decided to list it as a town attraction. And they, they lovingly describe it as the NatWest hole in the wall, a circular wall as you, hole in that wall, as you can see. One user on TripAdvisor said, the experience pays for itself. Do you see what they did there? But warned, there can be a bit of a queue. Another reviewer said, I've seen the Great Wall of China. I've seen the Eiffel Tower. I've been to the Grand Canyon. But the NatWest Hole has to be the most awe-inspiring structure I have ever seen. On TripAdvisor, that NatWest Hole in the Wall now features ahead of a local nature walk and the town's historic church in rankings of the best things to see and do in Ilkeston. Uh, you want to go now, don't you? That's where you're going, straight after we're finished here. It's like road trip. Come on, we're on. Let's go. Um, it was designed for a really prosaic reason, just to help cash machine users just feel safe and secure. But it's taken on a life of its own. All of a sudden, it means more. It has become, if you'll forgive the pun, a whole lot more. Um, thank you. I worked on that. Thank you, I appreciate that. This morning, we want to be understanding both perhaps what we're not, that's okay, but maybe to allow the Scriptures and allow Christ Jesus himself to elevate our understanding as to, to determine who we are. If that little hole in that wall had a personality, it might have originally thought, I don't amount to very much. But now all of a sudden, there it has a page on TripAdvisor. It is more, I don't know, it's quite possible. You've come here this morning and I don't know, maybe you don't think you're, you're up to much. Maybe you don't think you mean so much. Maybe you don't think there's too much inherent value in who you are. Can we let the Bible speak some life and truth to us this morning? Is anyone up for that? Can we let Jesus speak some hope and grace to us this morning? You are made to be more. Made to be more. Now, <laughs> bye-bye, Nora. Um, she's very polite. Um, you're made to be more. Now, our whole series, it revolves around two biblical truths and one question. So hopefully you're going to really get to grips with these things as we go on. Our two biblical truths, the first one is drawn from Ephesians 2 and chapter 10. And I would encourage you, memorize these verses. They'll do you such good. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 tells us that we... That is all of those who are in Jesus, all of the followers of Christ. We are God's workmanship. Yeah, that word workmanship, it means craftsmanship. It's hands-on involvement. This is not conveyor belt, factory line kind of stuff. This is detailed, invested craftsmanship. That's how God makes you and me. We are his masterpiece, his works of art. Yeah? Do you ever feel like that when you look in the mirror? I'm a work of art. I feel like abstract, I think, with me, and abstract work about maybe surreal, I'm not sure. Uh, you are God's masterpieces, 
created in Christ Jesus. This is key, isn't it, for our understanding? Jesus, he makes us anew. Anybody here been born again? Anybody here been made new? Anybody here know the life of Jesus Christ that he's granted to you? This is what we're getting at. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do good works. There's a purpose and meaning to your life. Not only that, to do good works which God, he prepared in advance, beforehand, before you were even born. He had all this ready for you so that you can walk in it. That's good news, isn't it? That's one of our key understandings, biblical truth. Second biblical truth is found in John chapter 10, and it's the second half of verse 10. And having given the contrast of, 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 of a dark destiny, John chapter 10 and verse 10 says, I, Jesus says this, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness, that you may have the abundance of life. Fullness, um, you know, we said it already, but we'll say it again. It's not the idea of just getting it to the top of the glass. The kind of fullness that God has for you is the kind of fullness that never runs out. And when something is poured out from your life, it's instantly, massively poured back in. That's a good kind of fullness, isn't it? Never-ending, absolute abundance, fullness of God. John chapter 10, verse 10. So knowing these two realities, which we'll unpack even more over weeks to come, the question for us is are you living in that truth? Are you living in that truth? The way we've described it is the idea of a sweet spot where our being, our doing, and our going fully embraces the reality of what God has built into our lives and says over us, enables us in. That's the sweet spot of our understanding. We, we, we grab it and we go with it. We're filled with the goodness of God, and that goodness is pouring out everywhere that we go. And I think truth be told, as we talk about that kind of sweet spot, it's probably landing with you a little bit like with me. It's like, yes, but. <laughs> Anybody else? It's like, yeah, I, I've got a hold of some of this, but I do feel like there's more. Anybody else for some more in Jesus? Yeah? And, and, and what we're trying to understand is how do, we, how do we better know that sweet spot? How do we have some definition to that sweet spot so that when that bat hits that ball, it flies? Yeah? When our life really starts to kind of operate within that sweet spot of our being and of our doing, then we see some incredible fruit in Christ Jesus. Jesus wants to speak to us over this morning about our being. There was a famous French philosopher, Blaise Pascal, and he, he points us in the direction of our sweet spot like this. He says, not only do we know God by Jesus Christ alone, but we know ourselves only by Jesus Christ. We know life and death only through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do not know what is our life, nor our death, nor God, nor ourselves. That's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? But he was claiming that not just from a philosophical perspective, but from his own lived reality. I suspect there'll be many of us here today and we say, actually, as we've explored and experienced God, we know that to be true as well. So let us let Jesus speak to us this morning. We're going to hear who it is that God says we are. We're going to let him speak to us in our, in our life and in our living, about our being, our doing, our going what does Jesus say? Now, I want to suggest to you, we're going to begin here with our being, 
And, and, and I want to really urge you to invest in this understanding. All too often, um, believers, we kind of get a little bit of the love of Jesus, some understanding of who we are in Christ, but then immediately we're a little bit like, okay, but what's next? I need to be doing something. I need to be going somewhere. I need to be yada da 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 There's nothing wrong with those things. Yes, there's loads of ministry to engage with. There's loads of mission to get about. But you've got to root this in understanding of who you are. If you don't know who you are in Jesus, I tell you, it doesn't matter what you do. You could do all the good works in the world. You've missed the heartbeat of God for you. If you don't understand your being in Christ, in fact, for a Christian, that oftentimes is the route to to disillusionment or, or burnout. If you go, 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 but there's no B, B, B. The Bible puts it like this, again, from the lips of Jesus. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. The Bible teaches us to abide in him. It's not just about resting, but it's about being in Christ so that whether we're resting or whether we're going with everything that we've got, full pelt, we know that who we are in Christ is actually what we are doing. And don't get these things upside down if I can urge you. On the back page of your handouts, and we don't have the time for all of them this morning, you'll find there's a whole pile of B verses, yeah? These are verses that speak into who you are in Christ. Have a look at them over this week. Would you do that? Um, when you go to your transformed communities on Tuesday or whenever it is, would you just go with some understanding? Maybe you want to share with your friends there, share with your loved ones, your families, and, and engage together. This morning, we're going to dive into one particular couple of verses in the Bible. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Now, you can pick up a Bible from underneath your, church, underneath your chairs, uh, but if you don't want to pick up anything, it's going to go up on the screen as well. Um, so that's just fine. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. And here, the very inspired word of God says this to us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Even at just first glance, that sounds like good news. Anyone else? It sounds really good. It sounds incredibly positive. Now, the verse began with the word but, which might make you think, okay, well, well, why is there a but there? What went on before? Well, read the rest of the chapter for yourself. Even read from the beginning of the letter. We've got a description there of who Jesus is. And it's filled with wonder, but it's also filled with challenge. And the Bible teaches in those immediate verses prior that some people struggle with that challenge. Uh, Maybe that you're here this morning and you struggle with something of the challenge of who Jesus is and what he says about himself. And maybe you struggle with the challenge of sometimes how he's represented in the world by his people. Look, there's nothing wrong with wrestling with the challenge. But can I urge you, would you allow Jesus to be who he is? Even if it means a couple of times you find yourself tripping up over him. You find yourself kind of like falling over and saying, oh goodness, what do I do next? Well, maybe, maybe you say okay, Jesus, I need there to be a a but. (laughs) I need there to be a a but, not just in this verse, but but in my life. I need there to be some sort of hinge, some change point in my life that, yes, I might feel the challenge a bit of who you are, wrestling with who you are, but I want to know the truth of who you are. 
And I want to understand who that makes me in you. And this is who it makes us. What does Jesus have to say? What does the Bible have to say about who we are? There's four big things here for us today. And firstly, I want us to know that we are chosen. We are chosen. Chosen. What does that mean? And within our society and within our culture, it seems like there are endless ways that folks can come up with so-called reality shows that you kind of have to audition for or be chosen for. It's not going away, is it? Do you remember those heady days of pop idol? Is anyone old enough to remember these things? Yeah? Is anyone old enough to remember them and actually watch them? Uh, you don't want to admit to that, do you? Uh, but there's like Pop Idol, and then the X Factor, Britain's Got Talent. They realize they're running out of steam. That's like, let's have the voice where chairs spin round. That's right, isn't it? It's the one now where they wear masks. Is that a thing? Have I imagined this? No, this is true, isn't it? They're kind of coming up with all sorts of ways that you kind of get chosen to kind of give that kind of little kind of frisson, that little excitement. Not only that, but there's all sorts of other reality shows, so-called, where people get chosen, not only in talent, but supposedly in love. (laughs) Relationship kinds of shows where they put these artificial environments that sometimes can be hugely corrosive, and supposedly people are supposed to choose one another in love in these environments. I don't know how that works. Choosing. It's a pretty powerful dynamic, though, isn't it? It gives a lot of drama, sometimes a bit of tension in the idea of choosing. I don't know whether you think about choosing and instantly you're taken back to primary school playgrounds, lining up on the wall and someone's picking the teams. It's like, pick me, pick me. I don't want to be last. Is anybody else feeling a little bit of heat at this moment, a little bit of tension? Um, I think I got picked last a few too many times. Pray for me. I need the Holy Spirit to do a work in my heart. Um, Choosing, well, yes, it can have some tension, some drama in the here and now. But when we actually realize what it meant in the society and and environment that these words were first written to, we start to understand this is not just about tension, this is not just about preference. The idea of choosing in Greco Roman culture could be a matter of life and death. It could truly be a matter of life and death. We live in a society that says that it it really cherishes um, children and and sometimes culture kind of revolves around kids and young people in certain ways. But that certainly wasn't the case when Peter was writing this letter. Within the Greco-Roman culture and worldview, children were considered commodities that could be kept or disposed of, frankly, you know, on a whim. Perhaps a little bit before the time Peter was writing, but not too much, it would have been the culture whereby children that were born into the world would be presented to the dad, placed at the feet of the dad, and it would be up to the dad to decide whether he picked up the child and welcomed them into the family or walked away. That's a shocking thing to say, isn't it? It gets more shocking when you realize that sometimes within that culture, unwanted children would simply just be put out of town, just left or even taken down to the marketplace and just tossed on the scrap heap, just with all other kinds of rubbish. It's horrific, isn't it? This is the culture of choosing that Peter is writing into. Those kids thrown on the scrap heap, others would come along, and if they needed a new slave, they would just say, oh, good, there's one, I'll take that. It's horrific, isn't it? We think of choosing as just a matter of, well, how many different types of cereal are there in the aisles at the supermarket? 
I say that. There might not be any, actually, at the moment. I don't know. There's certainly not a great deal of pastor, is there? But there you go. We think of choosing in that kind of context where it's really just, you know, ah, whatever. That's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying that you have a father who not only has chosen, you wouldn't dream of doing anything else. He embraces you with the kind of love that, that literally no other human ever could. He welcomes you in. He draws you near. He chooses you for life and not death. The Bible teaches us that he takes away that which would sting with death. That is sin. That's what the Bible talks about. What would actually tend us toward death and decay. He deals with that problem. We're journeying towards Easter at the moment, aren't we? And that cross, that, that offering of Christ, it speaks so profoundly to us that he takes death that we might have life. Oh, I thought that was a good place for a hallelujah. And that's the choosing. That's what it means. That's what choosing means for you and for me. Rejection hurts. Whether it's rejection as a child, big or small. Rejection in friendship, rejection in love. Rejection in a job application or a university application. Rejection any which way it hurts. But God chooses you. You. And I could say us, and it would be profoundly true, but I want to say you, because I think there's some folks here this morning, and you need to hear that, and you need to let that land with you, with your heart, that God in Christ Jesus chooses you. You are a chosen people. You are made to be more. What else does God teach us in these verses about who we are? Well, the Bible teaches not only are we chosen, but we are holy. A holy nation, talking about the nation of God, the, the people of God. And God tells us that we are holy. I don't know whether you're familiar with that word, holy. Um, biblically speaking, it has the understanding of being set apart as sacred. Something that is precious, not ordinary, but something that is, is valuable and is set apart for God. I don't know, sometimes um, as Christians, I think we think of holiness primarily as, as what we do or what we don't do. It's true that holiness has that connotation, that understanding. And certainly there are things in the Bible that God says are good for us and honor him. And there are things that aren't good for us and dishonor him. There is that sense of holiness. But, but that sense is rooted in a bigger sense. It's the holiness that God speaks over us. That God gives us Jesus Christ so that we might be made holy. Here's good news for you. It's not dependent entirely upon what you do. Is that good news? I don't know about you, but I know I'm not good enough. If God's perfect, I'm not going to ever meet that standard. I can just put that out there right now. Silence in the room because you're like, yeah, Pastor Greg, that's really obvious. But uh, neither are you. We're not going to make that standard. But God, through Jesus Christ, declares that over us. When we place our lives in his hands, he says, okay, great. You're mine, the chosen ones. And here's what, what else. You're holy. How else can we describe it? Have you ever heard anybody say holy cow or something like that? Have you ever heard that? You heard that saying? 
uh, some of you, you don't get out very much. It's pretty common. Um, but people don't say holy cow because they've come across a cow. Some of you are just offended with me now, aren't you? I, I understand what's going on. You're like, how could you say that? Well, anyhow, they don't say holy cow because they've come across a cow that fundamentally behaves better than all other cows. This is not what they've come across. They've not come across a cow that is predisposed towards righteous living. No? That a cow that like mentally makes choices that is just like good and God honoring. That's not what's happening. It's not that people say holy cow because sheep, they are sinners. But cows are holy. No, this is not what's happening. It's because in some cultures and religious practices, they actually set cows apart. You know of this, don't you? Now, folks do that with cows. Uh, I'm. I, just, I really wanted to be careful with sharing this illustration because I don't want anyone to go away thinking, Pastor Greg called me a cow this morning. I don't know why. That's not what we're doing. In the same way, God sets you apart. He says that you're special. I don't know when the last time anybody ever said that to you, but let me say it to you this morning. God says you are special. That was a great place for an amen. You are he set you apart and he confers upon you an incredible value. He says that you are incredibly valuable. We said already, forgive me, I'm holding a microphone so it's hard work, but there you go. He says over you, he says over you um, that you are valuable. And he can say that because as we said already, you are his craftsmanship. You're his masterpiece. I read um, a little while ago. You've heard of Banksy, haven't you? Yeah? You've heard of Banksy? And, and apparently on one occasion, uh, incognito, because nobody really truly knows who he is apparently, but he held a sale of some of his stencils, the things that he prepared to do his art, on a, stencils on canvas that he'd done in, New York, in a New York street. He only managed to sell eight works to three customers across a full day of trading. Yeah? Here's what happened afterwards. Later on that month, a fake Banksy held an impromptu sale on a New York street, and he sold all 40 of his works in one hour. It's bizarre, isn't it? The real Banksy could barely sell anything, but the fake Banksy, I don't know whether he's just cheaper, sold out. Now, those people, they go home with their Banksies, or their fake Banksies, or their real Banksies. When they get home and they try to sell them on, do they have equal value? No, they don't, do they? The people who've bought the fake Banksies, even if they were cheap, a bargain, or seemed particularly enticing, they try to sell that on. Our experts are going to tell them, no, that's not it. That's not the real deal. That's not true. But those few people who bought the real deal, oh my goodness, they were in on something there, weren't they? They really did well. I want you to think of your life as the authentic article, the real deal. If you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, it's like he signed his name on you. His imprint is on you. His nature is upon you. You're the real deal. That's how he values you. He determines that you are valuable in that way. Nobody else can speak a lesser or a false value over you. Nobody else can say, oh, you're not this or you're not that. If God says it, it is. You are holy. And the challenge comes for us not only just to hear that, but to allow it to land with us and then to say, okay, well, how does that affect how I live? We are made to be more. We're chosen, 
We're holy. We're just going to speed up now and come to these last couple of points that God has made us to be a people. A people. Not just any old kind of people. The Bible makes clear to us that the kind of people we're called to be are a family. And we said it already with regard to coronavirus, but we want to be looking after one another, don't we? We want to be looking around the room this morning and saying, oh, I didn't see so-and-so. I'm going to give them a call and see how they're doing. Just look after one another, not just in moments of crisis, but in moments of everything. Loving one another as family, because that is how God has made us. You are God's family because God has forgiven you your sins and welcomed you in. The Bible says there in 1 Peter 2 and verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why does God link the idea of mercy with family? Here's probably what's going on here. Um, Relationships are founded upon these truths. All too often, so many of us within even within our church, within Christianity, but certainly within our world, we live our lives according to shame. And maybe it's the shame of things that we've done, maybe even long past. I don't know about you, but I have a terrible memory for when I do good things, and I've got a fantastic memory for when I mess up. Is anyone else a bit like me? It's not a good thing, is it? But God help us. Um, But sometimes it's the way of it. Sometimes it's the things that we've done. Truth is sometimes we live our lives according to shame because of things that others have done to us or said about us. Circumstances that we have lived through. Shame, it makes us feel that we, we don't belong. It makes us feel like we're invisible or valueless, that we're dirty or lack dignity. That God doesn't accord shame to us. He accords to us mercy. If we have sinned, he is merciful to us that we might be washed clean. If we've been hurt, he is merciful to us that we might be made new in his mercy and renewed to be everything that he has made us to be. And in not excluding us but welcoming us through mercy, God says, you're mine. You're my family. You're my people. This is who you are. Ephesians 2 and verse 4 um, tells us that God is rich in mercy. He's not going to run out. He's not going to run out. I know sometimes folks come to this church and they whisper to me afterwards, everybody seems so nice. Am I welcome? Hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you think you've done nothing wrong or everything wrong. God's mercy doesn't run out. It can't possibly run out. It doesn't matter if you do something wrong tomorrow. You know God's mercy? It's new every morning. Did you know that? It doesn't run out. It's not possible. He's rich in mercy. Here's the profound truth of how God wants to speak to us. Hebrews 11 and verse 16 talks about us desiring the heavenly country, the the very presence of God. And this is what the Bible says about God and us. It says, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Here's the truth. God is not ashamed of you. It says so in the Bible. And I can tell by how quiet you were in our men's that you're not sure whether you believe that yet. God is not ashamed of you. You're his people. You're his people. And if you can't maybe respond vocally yet, well, let that start to land in your heart and go and meditate on it when you get home. 
God is not ashamed of you. If you are in Christ, you're in his family, he'll never change that. And, 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 and you know, here's the wonder, and here's our fourth point as we just finish up before we come around at table um, together. Um, God wants us to be involved in the family business. This is a part of our being. It's going to kind of move into our doing, but we'll get there in future weeks. But this is a part of our being because the Bible says, as well as chosen, as well as holy, as well as his people, receivers of mercy, also a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. It's right there in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. And this is quite simply the highest calling that could possibly be upon your life. In the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, this idea of a priest, they're the person that really knows God. Yeah? And they're the person that gets to help others to know God. This couldn't be a higher calling on your life. God is saying over you, you're the one who gets to come close to me. You're the one who gets to know me intimately and then to show me to those around you. To be a priest, this is the truest and most beautiful calling of God's church, the ones that he has called. He says, come on, you are my priests in the world and you get to do it like Jesus. He is our great high priest, the Bible teaches us, but we get to do it like him. That means we get to grow in his character. This is the calling of God in your life. You can become like Jesus in his character, not just in his character, but in the way that he acts, in the way that he ministers grace and truth in the world. You get to take part in this. This is who you are. You're made to be more. Now, if that's true, here's the rub. And it goes back to our question at the beginning when we think about our sweet spot. Come on, if, if this is true, are we living in it? A gentleman named William Jennings Bryan, he said this. He said, destiny is not a matter of cho- chance. Destiny is not a matter of chance. Destiny is a matter of choice. And the choice for us today is, will we trust Jesus? Will we believe him? Take him at his word. Maybe what he's done in our life, will we let that inform the way that we live? Are you going to be, as it were, a prodigal? You might know the story of that, that lad who, who ran away from the love of his father and the promise of his future. Are you going to be a prodigal or, or, or are you going to be a priest? Are these are the options open to you. Because truth be told, Christians here this morning, and I speak to both Christians and those who might not yet be, but even for Christians we might have elements of the prodigal in our lives. God might have spoken great things into our life, but we're kind of running the other way. Come on. Will you turn back to Jesus? Will you come to him? I don't know whether maybe in your life you say, yes, I want to be a Christian, but not too much. (laughs) I want to kind of, you know, experience kind of the the fringe bits. You know, I, I want to kind of get my admit one to heaven ticket but I don't know whether I really want to embrace the fullness of who I am in Christ it's possible but Jesus says would you come on in I've chosen you I've set you apart as holy you have incredible value you're in my family would you join the family firm would you join the family business it's a father and son and holy spirit But now, by his grace, father and sons and daughters, full of the Holy Spirit, 
It's just the family business. And he wants you to join in. Will you be who God has made you to be? For his glory and the good of those around you in this church and in the world. There's a work for you to do. Oh, there is. Will you be all the Christian that God has made you to be? Will you sell out yourself for his glory? Be sold out all in for his glory. Surrender to the King, being the one he's made you to be.